God needs the devil. The Beatles needed the Rolling Stones. Even Diane Sawyer needed Katie Couric. Will you be my Katie Couric? Wow. <laughs> I feel like I'm in Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Highlander? It's a movie. Any good? Very good. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Hello and welcome to Highlander Rewatched. We have been tackling the Highlander motion picture for the last six weeks, and today is the final episode of the Highlander Motion Picture Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. And thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, Highlander means a lot to everybody. So we, we had asked on Facebook and in one of our previous podcasts, why is Highlander so special to you? The original motion picture in 30 words or less, which is a tough task. So for me, Highlander is special because it presents a dark, bleak picture of immortality, all the while retaining a sense of adventure and romance, coupled with fantastic 80s music video techniques and music. That's my nutshell of what I like about it. But I do, I really do like the fact that it's kind of bleak and dark, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is... Like it doesn't gla like it, it looks at like the the dark side of immortality, which is something I think like a lot of vampire movies. Now I'm expanding way past thirty words. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something like vampire movies like flirt with a little bit. Like I think that's one of the draws to like everyone wants to be a vampire. Like the the seduction of like a a Dracul character. Mm -hmm. Like why is that character seductive? It's because he can make you immortal, and everyone wants to be immortal. And this movie fulfills that, but shows you that that's not all it's cracked up to be maybe right. which i think is good i don't know i think it, it's got it's got fertile ground to explore a lot of kind of hu the, the story of the human condition which is good so mm. that's my uh, 150 word explanation <laughs> why do you guys like highlander in a brief description for me highlander is the game effectively the genius of this show is it creates a, a fan it basically creates a structure for further storytelling and i think it really sets the stage for the show what do you think, Eamon? Dudes in trench coats are cool. There we go. Dudes with swords are cool. And history is cool. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, so, we'd like to read some responses from the listeners out there. Uh, I will start off. Paul H. tells us, Highlander tells the classic story of good versus evil, but adds the moral layers of immortality and the fragility of love and life. And don't forget the music. Very, very important part of this, which I don't know if a remake could really capture. Like, they're not going to have the same Queen songs in there, are they? I've I've heard rumors that they want to stay away from that, and mm. I can appreciate the fact that they don't want to like tread too much on old territory. But sure, uh, you know that's that's the problem when you deal with like iconic movies like this and iconic actors and actresses. Like, it's sometimes hard to replace those things because they're really what make it. So. Yeah, Kim E points out that it's all about. Conover Cloud's laugh. 
oddly enough that Connor McLeod and Raiden have the same laugh. What's that all about? I wonder how that happened. Um, and they both yell fatality all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Connor said that every time he cut somebody's head off. Get over here. And he chops Basil's head off. <laughs> uh, Holly Mack says... Um, I think what makes Highlander, the movie, so special is the storyline, not to mention the music and the magic of the what if. What if you could live forever? Very good, Holly. Julia S. writes, the trench coat of mysticism and the sneakers of power. (laughs) The story's all in the flashbacks. (laughs) Yeah, those sneakers are amazing. We haven't talked about the sneakers enough. Like his white tennis sneakers. Yeah, I mean, like imagine like a suit, like like the superhero or just hero suit of armor in any sort of like movie, like. Every character or every hero in a movie kind of has like some element they like they put on, and it's like for Connor McCloud, it is like a rumpled trench coat <laughs> yeah. and dirty tennis shoes. It's and like jeans. I've got my armor yeah. like on, like it's like ugh. yeah. Well, you know, he really mixes it up in the final fight with that leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. it's like I'm gonna go out with style. Like I won't even shave today. He might as well wear sweatpants. <laughs> Zach O writes. It's the source material for the greatest Aqua Teen Hunger Force episode of all time. <laughs> Dominic S. writes, It's something tragic and wonderful about being almost immortal. And unlike vampires, these are humans. Learning about being human while fighting for ages with a rock and roll attitude. Chris L. writes, It really captures the idea of living forever as both a blessing and a curse. You live many lives but lose everyone who is near and dear to your heart. Norman L. writes in, The original Highlander movie is special because it asked, and continues to ask, a very poignant question cloaked in the MTV fantasy stylization of the 1980s. Immortality. At what price? Jill B. writes, Everyone sold their performances. The characters were real to me. Heather, Ramirez, Connor, the Kurgan, Brenda... They were true. The Kurgan was actually dangerous. We want to thank everybody that wrote in uh, to answer the question, why is Highlander so special to you in 30 words or less? Thanks so much for your submissions. They were really great. And now on to the exciting conclusion of our Highlander the Motion Picture Podcast. So we're on the Silver Cup Studios. Uh, somehow Connor does... does Kurgan, tell him where where he is. Or he's just like find me. I don't know. Uh, who knows? That's like yeah, that's one of those remember. movie magic things. Yep. But I never like questioned whether or not he yeah. knew. Who knows? Uh, either way, they've they've got some magnetism anyway. So yep. I'm sure Connor could find him. So Brenda's Connor like tied up. Yeah, there's there's some. I I love the shot when they reveal like it's like you see the back end of the silver cup sign. It's like all in full focus, which means like the depth of field is all the same. Like the stuff in the foreground is in focus, mid ground and in the background is all the same focus, which is really cool. Uh, so you see Connor like arrive on the rooftop. Uh, it's really dramatic. I think it's cool. Again, this is a very. How do you put together a shot like that where all three? Are in focus. Uh, it depends. Sometimes, uh, depending on the movie, they'll like use models to actually like put the foreground, like something that's supposed to be in the background. They'll just put it closer and use like a model or a painting. Mm-hmm. That way, the camera picks it up as being closer. Uh, but otherwise, they'll use uh, it's called like shift focus um, or tilt shift. Excuse me. And so they end up having like essentially two different lenses uh, when the camera was they, they like adjust the focus so you can you can see two different things. Sometimes usually there's like a line like if you look at like older movies or even modern movies like maybe there'll be a character in the foreground and one in the background. But there's like a pillar in the middle of the scene and they use that as like the focus point. And so like the, the pillar will be slightly out of focus and it's because they're using two different lenses 
to capture the foreground and the background. So um, that both are in focus. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool effect. And uh, yeah, they do it here. So this is a very like operatic, climactic fight scene, just mm-hmm. like we had in the castle before. Yeah. Uh, this is a really cool sequence. I mean... I noticed that they use Freddie Mercury's voice in the soundtrack a little bit here. I don't know if anyone noticed that. Like, There's like weird whooshing sounds when Connor arrives and they've got Freddie Mercury. I think it's it's a kind of magic, like the lyrics from that, like, but they're all distorted and like whooshing around in the background. Which I thought was pretty cool. There's like this kind of almost King Kong kind of reference here because she, Brenda, is kind of chained up to the silver cup sign, like elevated. And when Connor goes to, to rescue her, he is ambushed by the Kurgan. Did I say King Kong? I should have said Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but donkey. Don- donkey. Donkey. <laughs> Sorry. so then the fight breaks out and this is the second unforced error on like a downward chop we see from Connor McLeod like just like with Facile where he accidentally like stabs the pipe and gets like blasted in the face with steam he once again just like accidentally hits the scaffolding while they're fighting and gets housed as a result yeah and the Kurgan does this weird like spin move at one point where he chops down the whole sign yeah he's like got a lightsaber yeah. <laughs> like he's just hacking away at the sign. And just twirling. He's doing ballet <laughs> yeah. and hacking this thing to pieces. Like he's like, oh, you started it, so I guess I'll finish it. Right. And he just <laughs> chops the whole sign down. And then that also makes the water tower fall over. Yeah, there's a water tower on the roof. That collapses and yeah. floods the whole roof. Right. So in the midst of this fight, and I couldn't tell, is this supposed to be a callback? Connor gets like knocked down and disappears underwater. And I was like, oh, like we've seen this happen before because he like disappears for a while. Mm. And it's like, oh, we know Connor can like survive, like be underwater. Although, like, the thing that's weird is like the lip on this roof is like a foot tall. So it's like there's a foot of water. Yeah. And like everybody is disappearing with their full bodies like the kurgan does this weird (laughs) spin underwater i I have no idea what it is but it's awesome he's like (laughs) like he's going down a toilet right like he's getting flushed down the toilet he is but then the sign falls and brenda gets like unroped she gets dislodged from the sign or something was this supposed to be some kind of odd callback to the fact that they can breathe underwater that's what i thought it was because they both end up underwater and it's like but we don't see anything else and it's just like i guess they can be underwater it's not really played up i would have liked to see them either fight underwater or have it be (laughs) hold on imagine that playing out imagine this movie where there's an (laughs) underwater sword fight not like an underwater sword fight but like some struggling even just a shot of them struggling beneath the waves yes or like (laughs) it's just something right because it was so striking they made it such a point to reveal that connor could breathe underwater in fact you see him like giggling to himself underwater about how he can breathe under water and then they both are underwater in the climactic fight of the thing i i will bet you that there was something planned for like i feel like that must have been a a setup for this Hmm. it didn't stick out to me Hmm. we'll ask russell yeah russ mac (laughs) russ mac uh so I mean, this is a pretty cool fight. I don't know. I, I, I like it so far. I do, too. Uh, it's it's a crazy, like, combo of, like, I guess they filmed some, some stuff on location. Yeah. Then they had, like, a replica of the Silver Cup Studios in London. Mm-hmm. They apparently, they wanted to do some, like, reshoots on this. Like, they wanted to take some second takes, close-ups, that sort of stuff. But 
when they tipped over the water tower and like flooded the set, I guess they thought it was going to be like drain out and it mm. didn't. So Ugh. they went back to like do some more shoots and like the entire set, I think, was like completely unusable. Um, Yikes. Yeah. There's one part where the S, the silver cup S is falling over and you can see the, <laughs> the wires, the wires pulling it down. <laughs> and, you know, I know it's a kind of a low budget cult movie, but I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I had watched that, I never thought of that as like someone pulling the wire down. I just mm. always assumed there were cables on the oh, like, right. on either side of the sign, just like for stability. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, so I never read too deep into that that wire. There will yeah. be some other cables that we're going to talk there about later, be. but uh, so after <laughs> electric suspenders. That's so, right. <laughs> oh, we haven't really mentioned there is like electricity everywhere right now. Everywhere, everywhere. Like, which so, is cool because the Silver Cup building, it's like almost like the signs are generating the electricity as they hit the water and do all right. this. And there's crazy sparks. Like every hit they take, like there's electricity in the water coming from the swords. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so after the water tower explodes, they end up tumbling through like a skylight right. into like just what a is big room, like a big yeah. warehousey sort of room with a big window. And I, I really like this as a like a setting for it's pretty awesome. Uh, like it's like again, like in the script, I guess it was supposed to be on the Statue of Liberty, which is really iconic. But I kind of like this like stark imagery, like it's just an empty room. It's just the two of them. It's backlit. So it's like mm-hmm. more silhouetted stuff. Like I think this has got a lot of like style to it, which is cool. Yeah. Like a lot of style. It's kind of funny that they transition from a less, a more complicated set to a less complicated set. Like there's this trajectory towards simplicity. Mm-hmm. Like even comparing it to like the Kurgan Ramirez fight, that's like a complicated fight scene where all the stuff is exploding during the fight and all this stuff's going on. The final confrontation is stark. Yeah. It's just kind of it's almost like they're fighting in a desert. Right. And actually, good that you mentioned a desert. So it's interesting, like the the music kicks in uh when they start fighting on the roof. And this is yeah, it's it's the Michael Kamen score. Uh apparently allegedly he wrote this final like climactic fight scene cue in twenty four hours, I think. Which is like insane. That's a lot of music to write in yeah. such a short amount of time. Also, I don't really feel like the music fits what's happening on the screen. This, I was going to ask how you feel about the music during this entire climactic scene. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not a huge fan of the stuff on the rooftop. I like the, the cues when they're in the warehousey sort of section. That's really, when, I feel the opposite way. Really? Yeah, I thought the entire, from, like, I was at least on board when they're on the roof. Like, I don't, I'm not going to, like, I don't think it was as good as what's come before it. Mm-hmm. But I was at least, like, in it. Once they get into the warehouse, I just feel like the music is, like, wrong in some way. Hmm. Like, it's not syncing up with what I'm seeing. It's, like, It really, doesn't capture the emotions I'm yeah. feeling, certainly. Like, it feels like it's the climax of a different movie. Interesting. Well, it's really upbeat and heroic like you're supposed to be feeling victorious but connor hasn't <laughs> like turned the tables yet right yeah like, like connor is still getting his ass kicked yeah. for a lot of this but the move the music is telling me he's already won right huh right. I, I remember that. i thought that came so. later yeah. i thought when he got the upper hand it changed but maybe not but he like he doesn't really and truly get the upper hand in this fight until very close to the end right yeah which is consistent with like his entire character and yeah. everything like that but the music is triumphant from yeah. more or less the minute they get into the warehouse huh yep. interesting it's uh, it odd. stuck it out just, to me it doesn't yeah. feel right i wonder if like queen music would have been better suited here At, my sense was a yes but even I think it should have been Queen music and then transition. Or it could have been no music. Well, uh, that's what when you mentioned like a desert, I was just going to bring this up. So when they're fighting on the roof, 
there is the Michael Kamen score. It's this very like operatic music, similar to what we saw when he fought Fazil in the, the beginning uh, or when the Kurgan and Ramirez fought in the castle. Mm-hmm. But once they fall through the skylight, uh, they do this great. A lot of movies do this. Uh, Star Wars does it every once in a while. Like they cut the music out completely. So like not only do they go from this complicated set to this very like stark, empty room, but like you are left now with no music. And I think that's a really great effect. Like all you hear is the clashing of their swords, and it's just bleak and stark. It's just the two of them. And then eventually the music kind of kicks back in, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so the, yeah, the music is the swords. I guess, yeah. in this in this sense, which is neat. So then we have uh, they're fighting. Connor's kind of losing. Mm-hmm. Then Brenda steps in. Yeah. Yes, this is interesting. So like they both fall, but Connor seems worse for wear. It's feeding into this notion that the Kurgan's the strongest. The Kurgan seems to recover quicker. Yeah, he gets and, right up. Whereas Connor's like get in the process of getting up, but doesn't seem as ready to jump into the fight. But so, in the third pipe scene of this movie, right? Yeah. Brenda comes in and whacks him with the pipe, which also. How'd she get down there? She didn't fall through that glass. No, they show did. her trying to get through a door at one point. Yeah. And finds them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. I guess so. So, yes, there's 75% of the fight scenes in this have a pipe in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pipe man begins. And then Connor's like... Pipe lander. <laughs> yeah, pipe lander. Connor's like, <laughs> what kept you? <laughs> it's like, it's an awful one-liner. But again, yep. it's like this rascally mm-hmm. sort of like jokester sort of guy. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about connor like ever yeah uh again he should be like we keep bringing up han solo or a more modern reference like what's a star killer from uh is that his name guardians of the galaxy star lord that's what i said <laughs> it is not well all right uh yeah same star vader what's the guy's chris name? pratt how would chris pratt be as the new highlander Ooh, it's baby faced a he little is, bit he is a bit baby faced but we should talk about that more, but like that again, should, like the the version of Connor McLeod this movie paints is so all over the map. I think yeah. like you could you could do somebody like him. Like I remember a number of years ago, Ryan Reynolds was attached to this project, Ugh. and I remember a lot of people were like, "Ugh, like no way, no how." And I remember I was one of those people. I was like, "Oh, no, that's no good." But then watching this movie again and seeing how like rascally and funny Connor seems to be, I was like, "Oh, like actually, maybe when you have any glimpse of what his character is, right?" But yeah. it's like, "Oh, I can see like if whoever's doing the casting was like in touch with that portion of the character, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can see where Ryan Reynolds like made it through this process to be like, oh yeah, like that's that's a version like the funny smartass character here, yeah." Uh, but it could also be many other, like the dark, weird, forbidding. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, and at this point in the fight, the Kurgan, his eyes become really round and dark. It's very awesome. weird. I love it. Yeah. They give him like black contacts, and this is, yeah. I guess, where like the music kicks back in. Yeah, it becomes like heroic, and Connor starts getting an upper hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he cuts the Kurgan in the belly, and the Kurgan's eyes turn black. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Though just to back up for a second to talk about this pipe man begins moment. <laughs> she hits him with a pipe. In right? the back. Right. In the back. He speaking to this tranquility, keeping your cool moment, rather than finishing what he came here to do, he like turns his att- all of his attention to her and like loses his cool somehow. 
Connor manages to get up, right. run. Like we, at some point, like his sword gets thrown away. Oh, he gets kicked across the room. <laughs> he runs like forty feet. Well, I think he teleports because Ramirez taught him how to do. Oh, yeah, really? right. he, he teleports <laughs> across yeah. the room, grabs the sword, teleports all the way back, and then he's doing like this massive overhand swing on her, and he just sticks his katana out, <laughs> and like it's a lightsaber, just stops it. Like somehow, it's like you know what. Your sword is there, and then his sword keeps going and cuts her in twain. Yep. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Brenda's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so we get, uh, I guess, kind of the... D, dead. <laughs> um, again, I think the, sh- the shooting in this scene is really neat. Uh, yeah, this is a cool fight. This is a technique that Russell... I, I think he pioneered this technique. Like, the camera's zipping all over the place, and... It was like some sort of like dolly system. Like they would put the camera on a track, but like without a stand, like it was on the ground almost. And I think they had it like on a cord, like a zip zip cord, and they would zip it across the floor. So the camera's like whipping back and forth on this track. And I think it li- gives us like really grandiose view of the fight. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a cool music video technique they use. So Connor wins. He yes. Chops off the Kurgan's head. So he slits his neck and you're not sure what's going on at first. And oh, then right. suddenly... I guess the Kurgan's head like slides off. Yeah. And then they cut to like light exploding from his neck and yep. like a chicken with his head cut off. Yeah. The Kurgan is like reaching over yeah. his head. He's like, oh, what happened? What, what happened? What happened? Yeah. Doesn't he do like one last motion with his sword or yeah. something? Yeah. And it's strange. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then that's it for Kurgi. Kurgi's gone. So then we get. What's the Kurgan's real name? Kurg. Kurgis, Kurgiburgis, because he signs as Victor Kruger. I don't assume that's his real name. Mm. His real name is Kurt Gin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, good. I I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So, should we play the clip of Connor getting the quickening? Yes, I guess so. All right, we're gonna need like a visual clip of this too. Yeah, we'll definitely post this on Facebook. uh, But we're gonna put this a visual assault, right? So, what is going on here? There's all these crazy... I actually like this animation. Uh-huh. Uh, these crazy drawings of weird demons and dragons <laughs> grabbing his head and, like, sniffing him and doing all sorts of crazy <laughs> shit. I don't know what's going on here. It's all this hand-drawn, uh-huh. kooky animation. Connor... Well, he says the famous line, there can, can be, be only, only one. one. And that sets off this whole thing. Like, the, yeah. the windows all explode. It, like, zooms in on him. Yeah. And then, boom, 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 boom. And then he flies up in the air. You can see the wires. <laughs> uh, and there's a story that I guess like in in a in an original version of this, Russell McKay envisioned him fighting like a dragon. He would fight a dragon. Like yeah. the, this is like the like not the final boss battle. Like right. there's the super boss battle at the end. And then they visualized it this way. And I've heard things that they put in this animation to hide the wires. Oh, but. It didn't really work. It did, <laughs> yeah. did the opposite. Yeah, exactly. it, it, like, it made it look like he has electric suspenders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's very silly, frankly. So one of the things that happens in this quickening, like this is like all, all the quickenings is over the top as they have been that we've seen so far. This one is that like on crack. Like yeah. this is so crazy. And, and it's like zooming in on his eye, like over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And like, so it's not even crack. It's like crocodile or something. <laughs> crocodile. Or, or like some sci-fi drug we've never heard of. <laughs> crocodile on crack. Yeah. yeah. So one thing we're gonna have to put a picture of on Facebook is it keeps it like zooms in on his eye over yeah. and over again. And I guess it's like I don't know what the point of this is. Like I don't know if it's going through like all the souls that he's like ingested yeah. like i don't know how to put this he's eating them he's eating them right like but at some point his head explodes and it yeah. happens for one frame on film and you have to go through and pause it to see it but they have like a like a head like it looks like it's made of play-doh it like looks a, like he looks like a ken doll head yes <laughs> like they have sculpted a christopher lambert head out of play-doh and then blown it to smithereens yep uh it's amazing i think i don't know everyone should pause it. it's insane yep. also like seeing the i agree that this is kind of like a cool bit of animation but seeing it it seems like a negative thing seeing this happen seems like an awful oh, thing yeah. is being inflicted on yeah, another like, human being like these, this is terrible it's well, all, like all scary monsters yeah. like yeah, <laughs> engulfing him he's being yeah. inhabited by a million skulls and a dragon yeah, yeah. Like, and it doesn't seem like these things are like fleeing either like no. they're getting him like yeah, yeah i don't know what this is over him yeah. in some way it's very strange. Uh, thinking about it in the context of what you had mentioned of how do you interpret the phrase there can be only one is interesting. It's like this unity. It's that like the all the immortals are like actually vying to be combined into a single person in some way. Right. That there's like they're trying to be combined into like one perfect creature. Per- perfect Christopher Lambert. Mm-hmm. When I think perfection, I think Christopher Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you I, know the guy with the swords. And yeah, I might be misremembering because it's been a while since we've read this. But Eamon, you you had found an article in what was the mag- it was an old sci fi Starlog Starlog. Yeah, and I remember there was an interview with some of the people involved in Highlander from 1986, and clearly this interview was done like while they were still in post production. And one of their special effects, like the the coordinators or the head of special effects or whatever, was talking about this scene and about yeah. how crazy this was going to be. It's going to be awesome. And he was talking about... Like they, 20 immortal heads. Right. So he had built these, like, masks that were, like, of ice, he said. Like, that was yeah. the plan. And, like, there were different faces. And it was supposed to be all the people that had gone before Connor. And I guess they were going to blast them with heat. And so you would see, like, each of these faces emerge out of ice yeah and it sounded like this crazy like yep very uh like what's the word i'm looking for um ambitious mm-hmm. sort of special effect uh obviously that's not in the movie at all uh, no. so that didn't work I mean, they got they were, one head and then they, go, they got one head made yeah. out of play-doh <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so you missed the ice wall of faces <laughs> can we just talk about for a minute the things he's saying yes. sure let's <laughs> please i think this scene would be a thousand times more effective if he just kept his fucking mouth shut because he's <laughs> saying some stupid shit. So what's he say? The quickening I, it absorbs me, or what is it? It overpowers. It overpowers. overpowers, overpowers me. That me. was the that also feeds into the notion that this is like bad. Like right, he's right. Using you get something. overpowered by something not good. He's like, not himself right. anymore. He's yeah. being overpowered by this thing. Mm-hmm. And then I know everything. <laughs> I, I am everything. everything. <laughs> Maybe it's just his delivery of these lines, but <laughs> no. I laughed when I heard these. I don't know that there's a way to deliver that to yeah. make it seem plausible. But it is this like weird kind of unity 
Buddhist kind of thing. And again, mm. we don't know what's going on. Right. Like again, like and and either does he, I guess, right? Like right. they, they from the beginning the of this movie, they have not set up what this is. So as the audience, we're just like, huh, like, okay, like it's a little bit more of the same, but we're not it seems to be bigger or something something's different. It looks kind of the same to what was before. Except yeah. the cartoons stuff. Yeah. It's like yeah. fa- like cartoons from Fantasia flying around him mm-hmm. or whatever, but so the dragon. Should we talk about that for a second? Because the Kurgan's the dragon. What's the deal with this thing? I guess, I mean, it feels like if Russell had envisioned there being like a final boss fight at the end, (laughs) I guess this all makes sense. Connor's already learned the ability to double jump, so now he can defeat the boss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess this all makes sense. And also, I give them a lot of props for like setting up that dragon imagery like throughout. Like, this isn't something that was just tacked on to the end. It's like, oh, and then he becomes a dragon and they fight. It's like, huh? Like, what? Like, right. if you look back through the movie, it's like, no, there's like, he's in snakeskin armor. Like, he's got the tattoo. Like, there's a lot of dragon stuff. So I give them props for that. But I'm not exactly sure what the deal is with that. Like, yeah. what it means. <laughs> Yeah. Um, especially like what did dragons mean like mythologically like the imagery they use for the Kurgan's dragon like the tattoo on the side of his head is like a East Asian dragon and right. aren't aren't Asian dragons like benevolent and like those are those are not destructive creatures like there's two kinds of dragons in mytho- mythology like there's dragons from Asia and those are good like they're signs of luck or prosperity or wealth or something and then there's the like Anglo-European version of a dragon and they're the ones always guarding the treasure in a cave and taking sacrifices and then they they always seem to represent like your inner desires that's why like you've always got to like the hero's journey is always like to the cave like it's about facing yourself like that's why Luke goes into a cave and you know Return, Return of the Jedi Return of the Jedi Empire Strikes Empire Strikes <sighs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, God. <laughs> Sorry, nerds. I blew it. <laughs> At one point, I, it took me being sent that image of like the Play-Doh head <laughs> to to realize what it was. Because in my notes, I was like, "Is that like a bust of Julius Caesar?" <laughs> was what I'd written. It looked like a marble, like Roman bust to me the first time I saw this. But then Connor goes on to explain the prize, and that's very odd. So, all right. So after this scene, Connor collapses on the ground, the ground, and Brenda comforts him. And we should note the windows do shatter. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That part of this whole thing is cool as hell. They're like yeah. big, big explosions, it's like in the shadow. Too, I was like just gonna say, just like, if, if yeah. you like, if hey, if you like the last five minutes of this movie, check out the last five minutes of the shadow because it's identical. Yeah, it uh, is. Because he's like in a mirror room <laughs> and everything explodes. Yeah, it's awesome. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is. Um, so then we cut to presumably the Scottish Highlands, mm-hmm. and there's another scene that I feel like is set up oddly. And Kyle, you, I, I didn't take note of the flashbacks here. Like you mentioned that the last flashback we have was the Boston Common thing, which was a while ago. And also, it's not in the Highlands. Like, this scene, I feel like they're trying to do a fake out here. And this would work better if we were always kind of flashing back to Scotland in a way. Like, we were getting, we're just accustomed to flashing back to Scotland in a certain time period. Flashing back means 1500 Scotland. Exactly. That is the meaning of flashbacks. Maybe. Uh, Because, like, we're set up and it's like, you you clearly know just from the imagery the movie set up, it's like, we're in Scotland. And it's like, this must be, like, presumably this must be a flashback. But then, like, a fighter jet flies overhead. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, fake out. It's like, this isn't then, it's now. Right. Uh, Which I think is a a great, like, setup. Like, movies, like, Back to the Future does this. It's like, oh, what year are we in? Like, we're not sure. Like, Marty looks around and then, like, suddenly a flying car goes overhead. It's like, ah, like, we know 
know when we are now. Um, We're last year. (laughs) 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 That's still depressing me. Well, sorry. Back to the future too. You're now back to the past too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then Connor and Brenda are like in the hillside. And also it should be noted. This is also reshot. So they did not. They, I, I, I am really curious what the first version of the scene was, but yeah. it was apparently drastically different. Huh. Um, I'm not sure if all this voiceover stuff was present. Yeah. Um, like the, I know all the costuming is different because Christopher Lambert is wearing Bill Panzer's shirt in this <laughs> scene, um, and what? I guess they didn't feel like the ending was working, so they went back and they actually. I think they actually had to fly everybody back to Scotland to shoot this. Like that's how big of a change that's they I needed thought to make. Brenda looked different in this scene and kind of weird. Mm, that could be know. why it's probably yeah. filmed maybe a couple like uh, maybe even a couple months later yeah. like uh when yeah. they cut the movie together so i'm super curious if anyone knows what this ending was supposed to be like i'd be curious but connor explains what's going on kind of kind of so we can like read people's minds yeah she's like well i want uh, like what's going on and like he's like well you're wondering if you can love me or not and he's like you can like yeah. what? <laughs> so like it almost seems so there's two sides to this prize that are weird and seem like two separate seem like they're developing two separate themes so we've got this whole naturalistic element where he can read like tap into the powers of animals and become one with nature and it seems like the prize in one sense is the ability to do that with humans right so this kind of existing ability that immortals have is enlarged and that's the prize and that seems like phenomenally powerful but then there's this separate notion that the prize is the ability to grow old and die and live as an live as a mortal right which seems like and have children which is like thematically a separate unique prize it's like the prize is something that regular people already have like they are fighting to become like everyone else right. is the fundamental like cherry at the end of this thing. Like the kiss at the end of the rainbow is this is this thing that's completely ordinary. Uh, and that's kind of those are two interesting, but I think divergent themes. Like I don't feel like the prize should be both of those things. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much about it. Do we want to uh, listen to the end here? Yeah, yeah. So, this is where it all began. Can you tell me about the prize? It's like a whirlwind in my head. But if I concentrate, I know what people are thinking all over the world. This feels like ADR now. Presidents. Yeah, because it is. Scientists. I mean, there's nobody on screen speaking to each other. It's just a voiceover. Is this also recorded in the bathroom? (laughs) You're thinking whether or not you can love me. You can't. Or not just like you redundant. I can love and have children, live and grow old. You never prepared me for that, you Spanish peacock. <laughs> but is he talking to her? Is he talking Patience, to Patience Highlander? You have done well. So is this like Obi-Wan Kenobi? Are they actually having a conversation? Good question. No, I maybe. I don't yes. know. He, it's possible in this in the, the context of this movie that like I mean he does absorb people's souls like, <laughs> yeah right. but that's the other thing like kurgan absorbed ramirez he absorbed kurgan so i guess distributive property so, he's now absorbed so ramirez. connor kissed ramirez yes <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's Sorry. beautiful, Keith. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, well, I wonder if the Kurgan can like pop in, pop in at any time he wants and talk to Connor. Every once in a while, he just hears "Mom." <laughs> He's got the two little things on his shoulders, a little cartoon yeah, devil and angel. Imagine how disappointed the Kurgan would be if he won the prize. Right, I, I just w- had to hear Christopher Lambert go hey, 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 yeah. for all eternity. <laughs> and then, like, hey, I'm mortal now. I can't harass people anymore with impunity <laughs> this is an odd i all right <laughs> i really like the bait and switch of what the prize is like i like that conceptually it's like this prize is pa- like everyone's after this and everyone maybe has their conception of what the prize is like it's maybe understood it's like being ultimate power control who knows what and it ends up being like a simplistic sort of like inner peace sort of thing. And again, I think this plays into this, like there can be only one, like it's about like unity, uh, finding your like spirit, something like, you know what I mean? A bunch of gobbledy spiritual gook. I like that bait and switch. And again, like I agree, Eamon, like, well, yeah, what would the Kurgan have done with this? Or is the prize unique to the person? That's what I was going to say. Would, is this what the Kurgan would have received if he had won the prize? Mm, Right. Or would he have gotten something different? Like an even bigger sword. <laughs> <laughs> With more moving parts. That's right. <laughs> he would have actually become a dragon. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I suppose the Kurgan could use this knowledge to his benefit. Sure. Right. And let's not pretend that re- the ability to read minds isn't phenomenally, phenomenally powerful. Right. Sure. But, but this is definitely like sort of like a anticlimactic. Like it's like it's this guy isn't like crowned king of the world at the end of this like uh no one knows who he's he not is prince of the universe yeah like i mean like yeah no one's aware of his existence like he kind of still operates like a, the quiet hero yeah i don't know I, I like that twist a lot no yeah. and i think they could make more out of it if they tried to define the prize through the characters more and then had it not be what those characters defined it as like if the if the kurgan was out for a goal like if he was like i want to rule the world like i this is what i want and then at the end we get to see hey that's not what this prize was like you know what i mean like that we we're not given the opposite of whatever this thing is to like help define it like we're just always given like who knows what the prize is and then it ends up being this and you're like as a viewer you're like i guess it's this like yeah. but if you had like maybe connor espouse like what he thought the prize like no the prize is going to be this and if the kurgan said no the prize is this like i want to you know rule over mankind and maybe castigir had a view of it or ramirez had a view like either way it honestly could even still just have been the kurgan's viewpoint of what the prize is i think it would made this switch this like this little trick at the end a little more powerful but i am everything <laughs> <laughs> so then we this movie ends on like a really awkward kiss i just don't feel like these actors have chemistry really nope yeah and this like really seals it like they concealed it in like their love scene by having it all be like in the dark yeah <laughs> <laughs> So you just get like a silhouetted nipple kiss. Well, we know Connor <laughs> loves his nips. Yeah. But now it's like in the light of day. This just doesn't feel like it works. Nope. nope. I know you feel like you're wondering, can you love me? The answer is, eh. If you feel like it, if I'm worth it, meh. <laughs> Am I worth it? I still have all the same doubts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we, uh, let's take a little bit of a break. And we're going to come back and kind of give our final thoughts on the movie and and, and uh, just do kind of a big wrap-up, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Are you telling us or talking to our listeners? I was not sure, so I was just saying it with conviction and <laughs> confidence. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, rewatchers, this is Keith. Make sure to like and follow us on Facebook and iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. That's right. Each and every week we come up with brand new Highlander rewatch content for your listening pleasure. So make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any major podcasting app. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we have finished watching Highlander, the motion picture. This has been quite the ride. Yeah. Way more episodes out of this than I think even we thought possible. Yes. This is now our seventh episode. We I I know I expected three max, maybe max, max. We We found a lot to talk about. There's a lot in this movie. It's pretty dense. Yeah. I don't know. It had been a little while since I've seen this movie, actually, because I feel like I watched the sequels more uh, because I always kept going back to try to give them another chance. Be like, oh, let me see this again. Like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. So I kind of was not watching the original Highlander for a long time because in my mind it was like, oh, no, I like that one. Like, I don't need to see it again. But it was nice to go back and see it. And I I appreciated it more than maybe I ever have before. Yeah. And especially a lot of the technical aspects of this movie, which we went over in detail. You really need to be paying kind of close attention to see some of the, the subtler touches in the way this movie is shot, which is pretty brilliant, actually. I think I, like, I enjoy the kind of grounded realistic elements of this movie whereas a lot of the sequel material is more science fictiony mm-hmm. i don't really i don't know if that helps highlander overall i mean i think that's part of the appeal of the tv show it's it's more fantasy than science fiction mm-hmm. um and i th- i think the noir element really kind of helps it and it's pretty grounded yeah. throughout like the only thing this movie really asks you to accept is that they're like immortal and like can take a beating right that's really all you need to suspend disbelief on to, to kind of take this ride with them some of the weirder stuff like is unessential. Like you don't need to know that he can meld mind meld with a stag to, <laughs> yeah. to make it through this movie. Whereas the later movies, like you have to accept a lot or to, br- to get into it. Yeah, or breathe underwater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty extraneous though. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah, this this movie actually almost is a little better for not explaining too much. Like it just presents stuff and you're like, oh, okay. As you get deeper into the mythology, they try to explain stuff and then it starts creating contradictions and it's like, wait, how does this work? But it just kind of shows you stuff and it's like, oh, I guess that's what it is. So, and that's like an Achilles heel to a lot of fantasy. Like it's like star Wars syndrome where like they had to explain where the force comes from. It's like, oh, it's like midi chlorians. It's not really magic. It's, Cells it's my favorite cells. part of the, uh, <laughs> the the series, Kyle. Yeah, the, the midi chlorians. <laughs> Are you serious or kidding? Absolutely, that's the best part of the the prequels. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, Jar Jar Binks is the best part. Agreed. Mm. Misa agree. What? <laughs> no. Misa agreesa. There oh, we go. Oh no. <laughs> Where's the other thing? That's Lambert's favorite part of the character, which confuses me. Is that he's like a grounded real hero with emotions and he's not a superhero which you know as far as i can tell from the sequels what he likes about the character isn't extended as much yeah that's a good point which is i find weird because he was a driving force behind a lot of those sequels as far as i'm aware but i'm not an expert at this point on those sequels so Mm. you know We'll see how it pans out. Yeah, tune in in eight months months and Eamon will be an expert on those sequels. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So here's here's a good question. Would you guys, this is a two-parter, and I don't know if the the first part is a fair question. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Is this a good movie? Yes. Okay. Eamon, what do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, it, I I will agree. I think this is a pretty good movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it's it's got some odd bits. Like it's a far from a perfect movie, but it is a good movie. Yeah, and it's very well made. I think so too. And you know, it's interesting. So as preparation for kind of us watching this i was i was reading a lot of um movie reviews from the time and we'll maybe we'll post some links to these on facebook but it's surprising how negative this movie was received and i think a lot of that is the fault of the the u.s distributor and they they made all these weird cuts that like it's definitely an inferior movie with a lot of those scenes missing Um, especially like things like the betrayal when he gets driven from his village like you need to see they need to set up relationships in order to knock them down otherwise there's no sting and the whole opening scene which yeah, sets up like the no interstitials yeah that's, that's insane no um to refresh yeah. our readers memories of this during the opening wrestling scene there are these interstitial cuts back to an ancient battlefield and that's like the first hint that you get that mcleod's immortal in the american release they cut that out no bueno yeah but yeah it's also interesting like if you read a lot of the uh, the old reviews like i know gene siskel had a lot of problems with this the the reviewer for the like philadelphia inquire i want to say the london times they all had this problem that the movie was hyper violent did you guys think this movie is like hyper violent hyper no i mean i don't have much context for it i can't really remember what was out at the same time i mean let's be fair there's a scene where you know the kurgan's throat gets cut and like blood spills out <laughs> right. like there are people's torsos getting cut and blood spilling out it's a lot more violent than the tv show obviously right. but i wouldn't say it's hyper violent but yeah you know i also watch like anime and <laughs> you know horror movies so my perception might be a little yeah gene siskel said he was like his stomach turned and he wanted to like leave the theater that i don't that i don't get which seems crazy also this movie was made in 86 filmed in 85 like movies like terminator yeah, Terminator already, is the one I was compar- thinking like, this like my head. as a hard R movie. Yeah, uh, like what? He, he Texas Chainsaw his, Massacre. Yeah. Like I don't know. And again, I I haven't read Gene Siskel's reviews of those movies. I mean, maybe he just has a you know a dislike for violence in film. Right. Uh, so he might have not liked those. I mean, there's a part where somebody gets picked up off the ground on the tip of a <laughs> right. sword and thrown, and right before that, a guy gets shot with a machine gun and flies across an alleyway. So. Yeah. And then right before that, somebody's head got cut off. So, I mean, objectively, this is a violent movie. Yeah, but. It, is, it is violent. And I think part of it's also, it's fairly gritty violence. It's not very glamorous. It's not part of, like, fast cuts and, like, super action. Even though we did discuss that there are a lot of cuts in these fight scenes. But it's not, like, glanced over. You kind of dwell on the violence in this movie for, right. for a solid bit beat. Like, you have moments to kind of appreciate how kind of intense some of the stuff that happens is mm-hmm. so i guess it's but it's like artfully shot i guess it's not gratuitous i guess i don't know like there aren't guts falling out right or like yeah it's weird. We, no, I think it's not been, like a slasher movie yeah but. yeah and movies today are so crazy violent like yeah. I don't know, even tv is pretty crazy violent like this this through our lens i feel like is is not violent I mean, it is, but, like, it's like, oh, whatever. Like, yeah, I've I, seen far worse than this. Yeah, I feel like this movie could air, like, in prime time now yeah. without being yeah. edited. Yeah. Like, Well, there are samurai movies from the 70s that are, like, regarded as classic films that are more violent than this movie. Hmm. So, I, I don't know. Yeah. Part two of my question that I was going to ask is, would you recommend this movie to other people to see? Especially if they had no idea about Highlander or anything like that. Yes, 
but not without qualification. What are those qualifications? Well, like I'd have to know. I'd recommend it to people who I knew their taste in movies a little bit. I'd recommend this to anyone who's a fantasy fan, anyone who likes metal or like rock in any way. And I'd recommend it to anyone who's into kind of like noir pieces. I'd be very comfortable recommending that to anyone who fits into those categories. That being said, I don't think this movie is for everyone. Mm-hmm. You also have to be willing to stomach a bit of confusion, right. as we've learned going through this. Uh, if you have not, don't have like a Highlander backdrop as you see this movie, there are bits that are, I think, just objectively kind of confusing to a first-time viewer. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of follow that. Uh, I mean, I think any like genre movie fan would probably like this, especially action. Um, I feel like movies these days, it's it's kind of compartmentalized. And this definitely feels like kind of a niche movie or something it's not like the avengers or something where everybody goes to see them you know what i mean yeah and like if you like the hobbit you're not necessarily gonna like this movie right like even though they're both in quotes fantasy people like the hobbit (laughs) (laughs) the first one was okay it's okay the second and third ones were (laughs) i'm gonna go on record saying the third hobbit movie is one of my least favorite movies that i've ever spent that much time seeing wow i detested that movie. (laughs) Did you guys see the video of Benedict Cumberbatch doing motion capture to play Smog the Dragon? They actually had him do it? They had him everybody listening to this, go on YouTube (laughs) search Benedict Cumberbatch Smog motion capture or whatever you guys have to see this video. He's like on his hands and knees going like and stuff like that and I'm like there are these people called animators who can actually animate this fucking dragon <laughs> because humans guess what they're not shaped like dragons <laughs> wait hang on rewind we're not shaped like dragons <laughs> no uh, shit <laughs> unfortunately i wish we were but anyway that was an aside yeah i mean uh right. it's it's good i i feel like i'd say this is a good like cult movie totally what about you oh I, i'm on board i would definitely i'm i'm with you Kyle that like this is a movie not for everybody, but if you're into like action, if you're into action movies, period, I think you'll probably dig this, yeah. uh, especially like movies from the 80s. Um, if you take that kind of this vibe, it's got Sean Connery in it. I yeah. mean, people like him or they used to anyway. Also, if anyone it's got like balance. Is, yeah. yeah, if anyone's familiar <laughs> with like Highlander references, which I think are most people like, yeah, there can be only one is something you it's, hear a lot. It's in the lexicon. Yeah. Like, um, I feel like that's something that may have become popular enough that it's almost unmoored from this movie. Yeah, it's transcended Definitely. like it's roots. Uh, but yeah, I think if you're familiar with that phrase, it'd be like, oh, go check out like the, the source material. It's worth it. Like and then you might be like, holy shit, this is what that's from. Right. Yeah. Oy. Like when I saw Casablanca for the first time when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, this is what all those Looney Tunes were talking about. Right. <laughs> uh, so do you guys have any, like, favorite moments and then maybe worse, mo- like, the, the your least favorite moments of this movie or elements? Yeah. I think this is fairly easy for me, at least. Number one is definitely the entire opening sequence, basically from the first notes of Queen into the transition into Scotland awesome that entire opening to this movie is gripping shot really well great action beat an amazing transition into the highlands thumbs up all around amy what's your uh, favorite part or element of this movie i mean i'd have to piggyback off of that the beginning of this movie is amazing and also the whole sequence with ramirez 
training. That's a great training montage. Uh, totally. McLeod, yeah. That's we really strictly good. the montage, or are we talking about that entire... <laughs> the, fi- the fish falling out his kill? Yeah. Not the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only in it for the fish, guys. <laughs> but picking it up after that, after fish threw <laughs> him throwing Ramirez's sword off of the top of a mountain, <laughs> and then they have to go down and find it. <laughs> <laughs> you just like to imagine the search. Yeah. <laughs> I. They should make a whole spinoff movie just about that. Or like spinoff novels. There's a spinoff novel. <laughs> about the search for the about sword. The, I'm looking for that sword. <laughs> um, I think my favorite <laughs> scene in this movie, uh, I think is the the wine, or the, excuse me, not the wine scene, the brandy scene. Oh, that's ah, a great little monologue. Yeah. yeah, it's a great monologue. I think that captures a lot of what I personally like about kind of the Highlander mythology. Like it's, it feels, I don't know, there's a, a little heartbreak in it. It's got a romanticism imagining the past. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's got a lot kind of going on in that scene. Like it sums up a lot about what the movie's about. Besides like hyper, like it's got all this action sort of stuff yeah. in it too. But like I feel like the core of the movie could could maybe be summarized in that little scene. It's I a- think that might be my favorite scene in the movie if there wasn't some like kind of jury rigged problem with the center of that scene of just why is he there? Yeah. Because I even like the beats of him being like, nice place Brenda when he finds the gun and yeah that's like, really funny. that whole thing yeah. Yeah. but then like he knows John Polito is there and like Bates are into lying to him it was all kind of preordained right. him storming out and then he does it anyway <laughs> this is like something about that scene it's on shifting sands that scene it's a good bit of writing it works for us because we know he's immortal if you were on a date with this guy and he uncorks the drink and gives that speech <laughs> I'd be like, all right, all right, shut the fuck up. Let's drink this stuff. All right. Like, I think it was weird, but it is like a nice bit of writing and it's a cool idea. Totally. So it, it works for us, the viewer, and that's the magic of cinema. It is. <laughs> so we've said our favorite parts. What are our least favorite parts of this movie? Keith, I know you can guess mine. Uh, I guess it's Boston Commons. Ding, 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 ding. There it is. <laughs> I, I feel like I said my You've piece. You've said I've a lot s- about I've how I've said my piece on Boston Commons. I'll leave it at that. I'm kind of in that same boat. I really don't like that flashback. Also, the underutilization of Castiger. I that's I don't like that about this. That's movie. a bummer. Yeah, yeah. My I think my least favorite part is probably Brenda slash the police. Uh, through no fault of Roxanne Hart's performance or anything. I think she's yeah. fine in the movie, but for her to be such a big part of the storyline. I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities and it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere. We're given kind of a female that you would think has a lot of agency, but kind of by the end is maybe a damsel in distress. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's it doesn't really go anywhere. And I think the relationship could be more interesting and it's not. They just don't sell the relationship. Yeah. But like, there's no chemistry. There is no chemistry, I think, between the two of those people. No. Yeah, there isn't. There well, is you some... think they would have done a chemistry test, right? Yeah. Who else did they turn down for this part? And they were like, yeah, the two of you really have the best vibes of this list of people. Well, you know what's crazy about that, too? It's like, yeah, like you'd think they'd they'd get two people in front of the camera to see how it kind of like played out. They said they didn't realize Christopher Lambert didn't speak English till like he arrived on set. So like (laughs) they hired him like sight unseen, like just knowing that he was in a big movie, Greystoke, uh, and was like kind of a big star at the time. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll go with him like. Because he agreed. So, like, I at least get that maybe they committed to him early, but why not do some more? And they definitely committed to her late. Because uh, she, I think, she was maybe their second choice or third choice. Like, she came on kind of late in 
production. Like they were, they were already kind of ready to go. She was like the last person cast. Why not know. switch her and BD Edney? They had chemistry. They definitely did. Also, there's rumors that they maybe had a little, <laughs> a little fling a ding, maybe a little fling on the side. Ooh. Well, Lambert had like kind of a reputation for being a bit of a womanizer. Ooh. <laughs> it's funny that the like apparently he has like all this success with women in real life when in the movie the whole time we're just like really him yep, yeah him but like he see like i have no problem believing that in real life he like is a lady killer <laughs> but somehow in the movie we're just like really <laughs> yeah another highlight is clancy brown's performance yeah i think he comes across as like one of the top movie villains ever really i i, I it's really so. good i mean, I mean like if darth vader's number one arguably he he's i don't know maybe in top 10 like his performance as a villain is like crazy over the top like i don't know it's great it is pretty amazing the thing that he really deserves like an extra nod for and i don't know i think this was alluded to in that gregory wyden interview that we had played a clip from the character itself is like fairly one-dimensional mm-hmm. there's really not much going on here like it's literally all on clancy brown's back to make it compelling and and worthwhile and i mean he obviously had some displeasure with the role but he made it work baby (laughs) (laughs) i mean he really did like he no reservation there yep so what's everyone's best theory on why amon facile is doing backflips in that garage my theory is it looks cool I think it's an intimidation technique. <laughs> and and he's, he's showing McLeod how badass he is. He's like, check it, bro. And he just starts flipping. <laughs> Yo, how many backflips can you do? Yeah. Answer, none. I don't think McLeod could do any backflips. So uh, a, a fan, a listener on Facebook had a, a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. And he made it sound like this is like accepted canon in the extended universe. That Amon Fazil is flipping to look under the cars to see where McLeod is hiding. How do, what do we think about that? Uh, I think, A, there are much easier ways <laughs> to look under a car. Like, I don't know, just stepping back far enough and leaning down. <laughs> that's my that's my first theory. <laughs> or like he could put his sword under the car and look in the reflection Ooh. of the blade. Mm. Or his sunglasses that he dropped. That's right. McLeod. it's pretty crazy we have just watched highlander for about a bajillion times and so we thought we'd do a little uh trivia game here so kyle and Eamon, you're gonna go head to head and some okay highlander down yeah so get ready all right it's it's and like danky Kane. (laughs) (laughs) all right Eamon, what year did highlander come out Uh, 1986. All right, that is correct. Oh, ding, let me uh, ding, 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 ding. let me get a, a scorecard here. Amen. You have one point. Yes. All right, Kyle. What section of Madison Square Garden is Connor seated in? E23. <laughs> 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 uh, Sorry, it is 214. Oh. No points. Shit. Oh. Amen. Yes. What is Connor McCloud's current alias in the film? Hmm. Uh. Russell Nash. That is correct. Oh, yes. Two points for you. Very good. Kyle, on what date does Kurgan kill Castagir? Ooh. Uh, let's go with November 6th, 1985. I'm sorry. It is <laughs> April 1st, 1985. You can see that on the newspaper dated the <laughs> next day, April 2nd, 1985. No Ooh, points for you. How, how did I miss that? <laughs> I don't even know. Eamon. Yes. In the film, the Kurgan hires a lady of the evening. What is her name? 
I believe it is candy. That is correct. You are up to three points. Just oh, to, my uh, God. Just to take a second here. Let's do a little recap. We have Eamon <laughs> with three points. Uh, and, Kyle, you uh, you still have zero points at this time. Oh, damn it. I, uh, you know, I want to protest that last question. I thought her name was Gomper Stomper. <laughs> <laughs> is that a kind of candy? Yeah, by Willy Wonka. Ooh. Kyle, when Connor moves into his New York City apartment, what is the third alias he uses? Well, I don't know if he had a New York City apartment when he used his third alias, but I'm going to go with... We're speaking of his current address. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with Conrad McGillicuddy II. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is Alfred Nicholson. No <laughs> points for you. How did I miss that? And let's do one more question here. Is it related to Jack Nicholson? He is now. <laughs> Amen. the question to you is, what kind of scotch does Connor order in the bar? Oh, I think that's a double Glenmore Ange. That is correct. And you get two points for identifying the name of the scotch and the order. Very oh. good. You have five points. Kyle, I'm sorry. You still have zero points. <laughs> All right. Last question. This could tie up the game. Maybe this one's worth a couple more points. Maybe. Don't worry. Right. You haven't decided yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I feel bad. Eamon clearly is doing better. He has five points. You have zero. So for this one, I'm going to give you a multiple choice question. That oh, way it's a little easier. Perfect. When Detective Frank Moran visits the hot dog vendor, the hot dog vendor carries the following variety of, of sodas. <laughs> a, Christ. Hawaiian Punch, Pepsi, and Sprite. B, Sprite, Hawaiian Punch, <laughs> Diet Coke. And C, Sprite, Diet Pepsi, and Hawaiian Punch. A, B, or C? Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. I'm going with B. B is correct. What? Boom. Suck it. No. <laughs> that one was worth a whopping two points. So to tally these scores, Eamon, you have one, two, three, four, five points. And Kyle has one, two points. Now, I find it a little disappointing. I was hoping the scores would be a little bit more fairly balanced uh, I but it pay is, attention to hawaiian punch it is so. clear uh one of you really likes highlander and the other one is a little eh on the subject uh so i'd like to thank you so much for participating and for paying attention so closely in the movie Eamon. kyle maybe in highlander 2 you'll actually try <laughs> <laughs> so keith uh does this movie pass the bechdel test well, good question, Eamon. So on this podcast, we often talk about the roles of women in the Highlander universe, and typically it comes up a little short, uh, which is a bummer. But um, the Bechtel test, if people are unaware, is kind of a shorthand way to see if a movie kind of has strong female characters. Um, so it's got three rules, and let's... Uh, Maybe go over these three and see if this movie passes. And this was created actually by um, an American cartoonist, Alison Bechtel. Uh, so the first rule, this movie has to have at least two named female characters in it. It does. Check. It does. It does. We've got, uh, who do we got? We've got Heather and we've got Brenda. Are there any other ones besides those two? I think well, that's it. Kate. Oh, and Candy. Yeah. Kate and Candy. <laughs> that's four, baby. That's four. Wow. Very good. Oh, and Rachel. Right. Oh, Rachel. That's right. Yeah. I said, who's Rachel? Rachel! <laughs> that's Batman. <laughs> Rachel does. Oh, that's right. Uh, question two. Who talk to each other? Uh, no. Yes. Yeah. Brenda and Rachel talk to oh, one Brenda another. Oh, Brenda and Rachel do talk oh, to each gosh, other. Oh, my gosh. They do. They do. I forgot yeah. all about that. 
Yeah, baby. I had written down, no, they don't. <laughs> I actually forgot Rachel was a character. <laughs> sweet Rachel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sweet, sweet Rachel. And then number three, do they talk about something other than a man? What? Uh, no, they don't talk about anything else other than Mac Daddy himself. The so Daddy this Mac. movie does not pass the test. It does come close for actually having a number of female characters. Yeah. Um, they don't do much. <laughs> this is true. But they there. So hopefully one day when they reboot Highlander, we'll get to see a strong female protagonist. This movie we can, of course, see as just an action adventure fantasy movie. Uh, but during the course of this, we did talk a lot about other ways you could view this movie. Uh, so there were three main ones, and I just we'll just maybe talk about them a little bit. Um, I had mentioned that this movie can have possibly some gay undertones. Uh, what do you guys think about looking at this movie through that lens there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of gay imagery in it i mean just even just the the rough sketch of this movie at this point all male group secret society meets in the dark of night to stab each other with swords yeah like the the imagery is is kind of baked into it there are a lot of images that are that don't need to be there that they add in yeah Yeah. well i mean the, the the quickening itself is so sexual we've talked about that definitely and uh yeah and they make it extra sexual in this like even compared to where the way it is in the the tv show yeah Yeah. i think there's a real strong case for viewing it with these elements in mind but i don't think there's necessarily a good through line uh like i don't think this is entirely like an a gay allegory or anything but i think the inclusion of russell mckay as the director we know has like experience with this imagery yeah exactly um it definitely and and knowing like what the original script was and what was kind of added like i think it becomes very apparent the things that are added into this movie to like that you could view as homosexual which i think is really interesting and i think Um, you just said something i think is applicable to any reading of this which is just in terms of like not having a clear through line necessarily um just that a lot i feel like a lot of the images in this movie is imagery for its own sake Mm -hmm. like maybe it's connected or that there's a theme to the imagery but a lot of it is highly stylized and not necessarily plot driven or plot connected i mean you could say there's not a good through line with the narrative itself like i mean we've talked about like well what is the prize like there's these elements of oneness and peace and you know balance uh all these sort of things uh, balance <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. um but like i i never find that there's a, a good through line of that like it's all there and it maybe existed stronger in a previous version but i'm not really sure so uh even with the the main narrative and story itself there's not a strong through line of everything so uh, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of look at this I yeah think. so kyle you had mentioned a lot of cold war kind of imagery and you know this movie is definitely a product of its time so want to talk a little about that yeah those are kind of two i think related concepts that are kind of woven throughout this thing because there's a lot of you know the movie i kept thinking of when seeing this was the warriors right because you mm. get this guy who basically causes this massive gang war in new york this is the warriors i'm talking about mm. in case you you missed the plot of highlander yeah. <laughs> And when, like, asked to confront it, when they confront this villain at the end, he just does it for, like, kicks. It's just about chaos for its own sake, and it's, like, this weird madness of the era, especially in New York, because that's another gritty New York movie. I think we see that here. Like, that's what the Kurgan really represents. He's just this malevolent force of 
like destruction and death that just kind of rages through this period, but with no end game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's purpose. And there's one very specific Cold War like image on the uh like the the quote unquote gun nuts shirt. He's got like yeah. missiles and it's like I don't know, it's like I forget what it exactly says. It's something like take this Moscow or yeah. like Yeah, it's like an yeah. anti communist shirt. It's like an anti communist shirt. So uh, that's put front and center at some point. Uh, yeah, and like just the fact that the Kurgans, like from the like Russian steppes, basically, yeah. he's you know. represents this like hyper masculine, hyper violent perception of what at the time would have been like our enemy in the East. You know, that could just be a, a factor of something you had mentioned earlier, which is just in a given time, your villains tend to mirror your 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 country's real life enemies, mm-hmm. and it leads to a lot of like caricatures of people in movies but i think that there's at least something to it when when we talk about balance like as you said the kurgan kind of represents this malevolence and this you know evil for evil's sake whereas mac kind of represents you know sitting and moping (laughs) so there's not really like McLeod doesn't represent anything in this movie. He, I, I think that's a weak part of this movie, too. Like, yeah. He, sh- he should really be the opposite of and he's kind Clancy of, Brown's character. Yeah, but he, and he's also kind of set up as like this Han Solo-esque character in some scenes, just where he's like, you know, doing one-liners and his little rascally like we talked about. But then it's just like other times he's just sitting there like mopey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think the, the interview with Wyden... I think the portrayal of Mac in general is probably pretty consistent from what Wyden's original vision was. Because, you know, how he talks about Kurt, the Kurgan just has like this darkness. He just wants to finish this thing with our guy. And there's just this notion of being sick of life. And that's kind of how I felt about Mac the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Mac is just this guy who's just this poor mope who's like still alive and just can't get on with it. But just like wants to be left in peace. Like mm-hmm. he's just tired of this. Like come on, just leave me alone. Right. Totally. And I feel like that is thematically linked to this older version of the script, which is why maybe he doesn't represent much. Like Could be, yeah. At least in this wider good versus evil struggle. Because yeah. as I said, like on episode one, not really a hero. Right. Yeah. yeah, hopefully at some point we'll get to talk to some of the writers and kind of break, like figure, figure if we can break down how this script kind of got to the finished product, I think would be kind of cool. Yeah. Because um, I feel like, yeah, there's there's a lot of drafts here and it, it all became this kind of collage of different elements from different people. I'm um, just still thinking about that balance line. Yeah. The entire Cold War was about balance of powers Ooh. and maintaining a, de- a delicate balance in a nuclear fueled world. <laughs> in any case, more just kind of images. Yeah. That are, uh, that and the last uh, kind of set of images is we talked about uh, a Christian interpretation of this movie. And to me, that one actually comes through the strongest for me. I'd agree with that. Uh, like that one has almost a whole through line. Um, yeah. That also so. is maybe a little bit more woven into the narrative. Like I feel like the homosexual stuff is not quite as woven in. There's a lot of imagery. I think the closest we get to it actually being woven into the, the mythology is maybe the you can't get married, you can't have kids. Those sort of things kind of are part of the story but otherwise it's mostly imagery uh but i think the christian themes come through pretty strong there's lots of crosses um we get connor referenced as like god like you fight with god on your side and there's connor Um, there's there's the bit where like when he wins the prize he's literally suspended in the air with his arms out like he's kind of having Uh, this crucifixion moment yeah the um the kurgan is represented by a dragon uh and there's a lot of dragon or a serpent exactly Yeah. yeah there's a lot of dragon imagery in the bible um, especially in relation to like revelation, like the end of days, which the Kurgan Ramirez says, like if the Kurgan wins, like there will be an eternity of darkness, uh, which sounds like the end of days to me from the Bible. And yeah. that's, that's represented by a dragon. Um, hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll try to throw up maybe a list or two on the on Facebook of kind of all this evidence we could quote unquote say of what we've found in these movies for these interpretations. If people think that's interesting, but uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of kind of cool cool ways to look at Highlander. And again, mm-hmm. if you haven't thought about it in maybe a deeper way, I think it's kind of fun to see that this surface level maybe action adventure gritty movie has kind of stuff going on underneath, uh, which is intentional and thoughtful. I think so, yeah. which is pretty cool. If you haven't watched the movie recently, look for some of these things, you know, pop your DVD in and look out for it. Cause I think it's interesting. I think it adds something to it. So any final thoughts that you guys want to share with our listeners? Uh, sure. Um, watching this again. Uh, it's been a while. It reminded me of how much I love this movie. It's really great. It was fun to revisit it, but it also reminded me how much I really enjoyed the TV show. Um, I'm really excited to get back into season two of the series. Uh, for me personally, as much as I like the movie, and like the concept, I find that this concept in general works like lives better as a television series because this movie introduces us to so many like interesting facets of this mythology and doesn't really get to explore them as much as like the TV show can because of the format. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eamon? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad I, you know, rewatched this movie. I, I used to hey, kind of have... Titular, you're glad you Highlander rewatched? <laughs> Wait, what, what are we... What? That's the name of our show. Oh, you're right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I am glad I Highlander rewatched this movie <laughs> because uh, I, I kind of used to have not a great opinion of this movie. I'll be honest. I liked the TV show more and I thought this movie was kind of hokey. And I am very happy to see that I've been proven wrong. Also, kind of weird thing that I just thought about. It reminded me how much I like Sean Connery. Definitely. Yeah. Like, he's super charming in this. He's amazing in this movie. And I'm a big James Bond fan. He's kind of playing a different character. He's not really James Bondy in this. He's a lot more likable and like mm-hmm. fatherly, whereas James Bond's kind of cutthroat. So uh, I was just like, oh, yeah, Sean Connery's actually really an awesome actor, despite some of his personal viewpoints which we won't talk about here um but yeah uh very glad to watch this again yeah rewatching this was awesome i also developed a, a much larger appreciation for this movie seeing it again one thing that's kind of one thing that really struck me about this that had never quite sunk in before is the difference in the way duncan and also connor are portrayed in the tv show versus the way our in quotes, hero is portrayed here. When they show Connor in The Gathering, he, like, hunts evil immortals. Like, he is a superhero. That is his shtick. And they kind of present Duncan the same way. Like, Duncan's, like, a little bit retired, but, like, his thing is going around hunting, literally hunting down bad guys. Whereas here, he's just, like, this noir protagonist on, at like, kind of at the end of his rope. And I think that actually could be a really compelling character in a TV show. Again, this does fit better in a tv show because you just need more time to flesh this stuff out like it's too dense like there's too many moving parts to like knock this out in a hundred minute movie but i think i could follow when connor is at his most rascally but he's still this kind of somewhat self-interested little curmudgeon noir kind of hero like i feel like you could follow that guy for a lot of episodes and get a lot of good content out of it big takeaway there's a noir like a hard noir highlander out there that could be really cool as a part of our rewatching of this, we've done a lot of kind of, you know, in between takes, talked about what a reboot might be like of this movie. And so we're just going to tease this a little bit now. We're going to have a, a contest um, next season for season two of the series uh, to pitch us your Highlander reboot. And we're going to take part in this as well. We're going to uh, 
come up with what would amount to be like a one-page treatment of what we think a Highlander reboot would look like. Um, so make sure to tune in next season, and we're going to give more details about what that contest is going to look like. But I'm really excited to hear everybody's uh, thoughts on what a new Highlander could be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we three won't be eligible for the prize. The prize, <laughs> of course. Um, so thank you, everybody. Guys. Give me the price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody out there for sticking with us through this whole thing. Uh, again, yeah. this is longer than we ever dreamed it would be. Uh, we had about, I don't know, I think you've stuck through about seven hours of Highlander talk. It's longer than the movie itself. Yep. Um, by like, <laughs> by three times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, I think you'll definitely enjoy our series two when we talk about the series. Uh, make sure to tune in and subscribe on Facebook, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can tune in to season two, which is going to start up pretty soon. We're really excited for that. So once again, thanks a lot for listening. We're going to be taking a week off, but you can join us the week after that for the season premiere of season two of the TV show. The Watchers. You can guess who's introduced in that episode. <laughs> Uatu? The Marvel Comics character? <laughs> yes. That's, that's it. it. That's it. You Precisely. nailed it. Uh, thanks again for watching. I've been one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. Bye. Thanks for taking this ride with us. Bye-bye. Interesting. <laughs> What was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh.